Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Tom, one of the things we oftentimes hear from folks when we're talking about thought leadership is, um, you know, the question, does this stuff really work? And so I wanted to start maybe with a thought leadership story, uh, kind of from our own experience. I want to maybe use that as an opportunity to illustrate some of the things that we oftentimes talk about here on the podcast. And, and that is that, you know, this week, earlier this week, um, we, we happened, we were fortunate enough to generate a nice opportunity from a great law firm. And kind of working backwards, um, that, that opportunity generated from someone reaching out to us as a result of something they saw on LinkedIn. And that thing they saw on LinkedIn, which is something I shared, was a great article that you wrote um, on a topic in which you're an expert on, which is uh, the value of podcasting and really the steps involved in a law firm starting their own podcast. And that article was something that you had published on JD Supra, which is a, you know, a, a publication, a website that's read by many of the people that um, we're trying to communicate with um, as part of our business. So I thought, um, I thought that was interesting to talk about and maybe break down uh, for a few moments here. And essentially, if we start from the top, um, the, the aspect uh, of sharing that information uh, via social media is something that you know, we could term uh, employee advocacy, which is something we're going to be getting into today in a bit. Um, which is, you wrote something, you wrote a great piece of thought leadership, um, you took the time to find a publishing opportunity other than our own website, which is something we also talk about a lot as far as um, an important component of thought leadership. And then I, as your uh, colleague in your organization, shared that to my own network and was able to reach someone who was possibly and probably not in your network. So. Um, you didn't just write something, uh, publish it on our website, and then hope for the best. Um, you found a great publishing opportunity, and then you, uh, working with your colleagues, uh, we were able to share that to reach a much broader audience. So I guess this small example, and as a result, we, we've generated a business development opportunity. And so I guess this, this small example from our own experience is just a way to illustrate that this stuff really does work, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's proof positive, I guess. And two other things I would add to that is one is, if you read the article that you're referencing, you might say as an outside observer that I gave everything away for free. So why would anyone hire you? Right? And um, I did give away a lot for free, but thought leadership is all about giving. Um, and if you go into it with that in mind, that you're, 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 the intent is to give and then you shall receive, then that that's the way it works. The other thing is I would have never had the foresight nor the courage to reach out to this firm or the, the specific person that reached out to you and say, Hey, do you want to have uh, us uh, do a piece of work for you? It's just not how I'm wired. I mean, there's thousands of firms out there. Where do you even start? But by sort of putting thought leadership out into the universe of ideas, then the opportunity found me. So um, that's what we advocate for. And I think, you know, we're proving again and again, ourselves and our clients are finding success with this stuff. Yeah, that, that last piece that we talked about, employee advocacy, which is essentially matching or, or having that content find uh, the right audience through, through um, uh, 
distributing it more broadly is what we're going to talk about today. And we have a great guest with us today who's going to help us uh, explore that issue of employee advocacy as it relates to thought leadership. Um, Jennifer Bankston, uh, she spent years in her career activating ideas and elevating brands. Um, she has a number of years of in-house experience at law firms, tech companies, and startups. And she has an innate ability for storytelling blended with technology-driven, pragmatic approach for delivery. Jennifer has served as Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer for three law firms during her career, where she led the building of creative and sophisticated service offerings for clients. Today, Jennifer partners with law firms and companies to provide marketing and business development strategies paired with technology solutions. So Jen, we're delighted to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Jay and Tom, it's an honor to be on your show at the beginning of our brand new decade here. Yeah, absolutely. It's an exciting time and it, it's hard to believe it's a new decade and, uh, and things are definitely changing. And, and one of those, uh, especially in the law firm context, is how um, firms are thinking about thought leadership and especially thinking about not just how to create great thought leadership, but how to amplify that message to uh, not only the, the biggest audience possible, but the right audience. And, and that's something that thought leaders can't do alone. And one of the ways that they can um, help uh, to amplify that message is through this issue of employee advocacy. So, Jen, as a, as a jumping off point here, maybe we can just take a moment for our listeners' benefit to talk about uh, defining the term uh, employee advocacy. What does that mean? And, and then uh, further, how does, how does it help support and enhance thought leadership? Absolutely. Um, by definition, or at least my definition of employee advocacy is the promotion of a company by employees who share the support for a company's brand or services, but it is a multifaceted approach. It is really important, especially in smaller organizations to share content and there are great tools out there to do so, but that's your baseline. Your baseline is when you're out there sharing some of this content and the messages because employees can move to become content creators and they tend to add more credibility. They write authoritatively, um, just as Tom indicated a little earlier. And it's been proven time and again that they can develop a loyal and unique following that certainly goes beyond social media. And so if you look at the tools, and we all know the tools like um, LinkedIn, Elevate, and Clearview Social, and you can use HubSpot, but when you're moving your employees from content sharers to content creators, that's how you get into thought leadership and you tie the two together because all of a sudden you are the law firm or you are the company that has this knowledge and you are transparent with very unique voices. Yeah, and and how, what are some things that, um, or maybe some uh, some fundamentals of trying to make that shift within a uh, law firm, Jen? Like, I, I totally agree with you. I, there are lots of tools out there to do lots of different things, but it's really the systems underlying those tools, right? That that matter. How do you and and the culture that underlies that that uh, those tools that matter, the tools themselves are, are kind of irrelevant in, unless you have the culture that, that uh, supports and advocates for employee advocacy in, in a firm. So, so how, does that, how does that culture shift happen? So 
if I may, I'd like to take you to when I um, left my law firm in 2013 after being there for 10 years, and I moved to Austin, Texas. And I was about to start a new role at a tech company, and I met with one of the senior most executives at a very large Texas tech company, and I was going to be working for one of Austin's largest um, tech companies as well, who gave me a book. And he said, here's a book, The Ownership Quotient, and I encourage all, all of your readers, all, of, all law firm folks to read this book. And it's been out for a number of years, but this book really set the tone for me to create an employee advocacy owner at the ownership program, because what it's telling you is, is that, well, Rackspace was the company that I was meeting with, that their secret to success was deemed by employee owners and customer owners. And what does that mean? We're not talking about, and we're not here to debate today, obviously, um, the ownership in a law firm by all employees. It's taking the ownership of someone who is so invested in your law firm that they care enough to do it. That's the true cultural shift. And in doing some of my own client experience mapping for this tech company, I realized that the most effective program that I could drive and implement to drive a competitive advantage and client satisfaction was to create an employee advocacy program around my developers. I was working with developers who develop products and tools to create a community. So while thought leadership has always been recognized for the value of storytelling and finding the values of, of, of diamonds in the rough to create this thought leadership, it's what differentiates one firm from the next. If you look at a company, so outside of law, like a Best Buy that has a geek squad, their geek squad is more than a revenue stream. Their geek squad is to help them develop new products and new services. And so I did the same in not just creating this community, but in looking to thought leadership. And I said, what is happening in the marketplace? And in the marketplace, if you indulge me with an example here, the example would be is that for us in developing tech and tools, uh, back in 2013, it was how would the Internet of Things impact business? What forces were driving development decisions around Internet of Things solutions? How will Internet of Things solutions change the end user experience? And what we came to found out was that the products that needed to be developed at that time were more B2B. So it wasn't about adding value to an existing conversation because that in and of itself is thought leadership, but we created the conversation. And that, that is true thought leadership, but it doesn't always happen that way. You can be a part of nurturing an existing community or you can create your own. And obviously I can give how I translated that then to a law firm example, but I thought we could start with that because your employee owners are very important. And then the last note I'll mention right now is the customer owner. So your customer owner are the people out there using your tools and using your services and engaging you in a law firm environment that are coming back to you with suggestions and being engaged in that conversation. Yeah, Jane, I love those examples too. The Geek Squad is something that as, as brand people, we always point to as an extension of 
you know, you, you put it in the context of employee advocacy, but certainly an extension of their brand and a representation of their brand um, is an interesting case study. But I did want to go back to, because you mentioned law firms. Yeah. And for our audience, if you could break down or cite a couple of examples of how this translates into a law firm of any size you choose if you want, you know, large, small, midsize, but how does this translate? Because you, I think there's an interesting dynamic when you talk about ownership. Um, and I'm, and I know you've worked with law firm clients and I'm interested on your perspective there. So when I juxtaposed to a mid to work at an in-house at a mid-sized Texas firm and the Texas firm was highly leveraged in the oil and gas industry, as a lot of Texas-based firms are, what we realized was that by speaking with certain employees that either had backgrounds in military service or in working in high tech, and then they became attorneys, or working with engineers, that our landowner clients were not being best served until we created an employee advocacy and thought leadership program around that so we could help them to do a practice extension. So I'm not calling it a, a, a niche area or a niche area um, just yet, but just a practice extension by setting up a drones or UAS practice, not on the regulatory side because a mid-sized this mid-sized Texas firm would not be competing with the DC national 3,000 plus firms that were doing the regulatory work, but would be focused on precision agriculture, or they would be focused on nuanced areas where they could engage employees who had unique skill sets. And these employees included people in the tech group, people in different practice areas. So they were both attorneys and other employees with unique skill sets, and that fostered not just thought leadership, but it also fostered growth in these practice extensions. So that's, that's a bit more tangible. Another example I would give is during the 2008 economic downturn, there were a number of firms out there that were not necessarily concentrating on partnering with clients in terms of what corporate governance reforms and regulations would look like. So I created a thought leadership group that encompassed certain members of different departments who, who were inspired, in essence, to work together. But again, going back to Jay's original point, the leadership supported it and found ways to help the employees to feel as if they owned this process to create this corporate governance program which lend, lent itself to a new service line. Jen, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that those are, are really valuable, concrete examples for, for anyone to think about how to um, think about this issue of enlisting employees across the organization into thought leadership efforts within a firm. Oftentimes it is thought of as an individual endeavor. Uh, thought leaders are, you know, sometimes perceived as people who sit behind a keyboard working independently and not with others in the firm, whereas the collective wisdom of, of the organization can be harnessed and leveraged um, effectively and much more effectively if you're, if you're tapping into that. We often talk about the fact that, you know, one of the things that uh, stops firms from being effective at thought leadership marketing and, and business development is 
the failure to extract uh, information as appropriate uh, from and, and quickly enough from their experts, uh, the heads of their experts, and get them into a format that can be then shaped into thought leadership. So this all makes sense, where you're 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 enlisting your employees across the firm who are closest to the ground uh, and are closest to the issues impacting uh, the client, so that then you can shape your your strategy around that. So. Um, can, maybe we'll get uh, here a little more tactical and think about like for a firm who is is looking to improve their thought leadership and and has bought into the idea that um, in order to do that you need to enlist uh, your employees across the firm your attorneys and others into that effort. Uh, what are some of the steps involved in implementing an employee advocacy program within a law firm? That is a great question. So one thing that I always encourage is piloting something. So focus on an area. And it shouldn't be an area, we're not talking about sci-fi, we're not talking about 20 years into the future, right? It has to be something that's going to be happening or happening, it's either happening now or it's within one to three years that it's going to impact your employees. So um, just off the top of my head, for example, mobile biometrics are growing and rising. Or if you serve community banks, how are they reacting to payment processing and payment experiences? So that could be an area that maybe you have someone who can write about or be thinking about. Now, maybe it's not that, maybe it's just sort of the, evol the evolution and where you're getting to, but here are some practical steps. You need to understand your audiences. So you do need to speak with your clients and understand what they're thinking about. Maybe it's in manufacturing and maybe it is internet of things, going to my example where there's some sort of sensor that's going to impact the law and they need to be thinking about it. And develop content that is easy and tangible to digest. Do not put something out that's dated three weeks after everyone else put it out, no. Um, perhaps because uh, part of my family is Quebecois, I always use, you know, what is your je ne sais quoi? What makes you, you? Um, so figure out in your law firm a piloted program that makes you, you work with some experts to maybe maybe map that out and put that together, but don't regurgitate, add to the conversation. Perhaps, and, and this is easier sometimes in smaller and mid-sized firms, a tangible goal would be to add to an existing conversation because that is thought leadership when you're adding a different type of perspective. I would say you also need to be a little vulnerable because there's an element of polarity in the thought leadership. Um, you do need people who can be somewhat controversial, not controversial over the top or over the line, but where you're not creating massive friction, but, but it is perhaps a new perspective of ideology. And think about how, how are you going to differentiate? At the end of the day, Thought leadership is to help elevate your firm and, to Tom's point, your brand in terms of differentiation. So start with thinking through, perhaps it's just a three-month process where you're not necessarily creating a community, but you're adding to a community. And those, would I would say, would be the top tips. Yeah, and, and then building upon that, it, it would be, I imagine it would be important to really um, share that strategy across the organization, correct? Like really, there's an element of communication here um, with with the team uh, in implementing and, and setting forth on an employee advocacy program. Is, is that right? Yeah, 
very important that leadership is sharing the strategic vision for the firm. Their practices are sharing their strategic vision and that this program and process is being shared back. Obviously, and Jay and Tom, perhaps you can engage and, and speak through some of the metrics, but it would be important to also have what are the metrics that you are looking to measure. Is it employee activity? Is it employee influence? Has the program perhaps helped boost an, an employee online influence? Is it employee conversion rate? How many of them are maybe becoming advocates? Um, is that changing the traffic, the traffic to the website, the traffic to bios, traffic to particular areas? That would be important as well. But overarching, the culture is extremely important because going back to sort of the, that baseline, a baseline is when you look at a pyramid, um, a baseline is your best place to work, right? That, that's a baseline. But the top echelon of where you want to get with employee advocacy is you want your employees to be giving, giving, giving their thoughts and perspective and be passionate about an area that has emerged or is evolving or something of that nature. Yeah, Jane, you actually, you're touching on exactly where I was going with this, which is back to the original question that Jay posed at the very beginning of the podcast, one that we get all the time, which is, does this work or how do we know it's working? And there's also, you know, the beauty of living in 2020 is we have access to all sorts of metrics that we didn't have 10, 15, 20 years ago. And some of those metrics are extremely real time and so easy to, to get, you know, the, the proverbial dashboard that leaders of organizations are looking for. And you referenced to some, a few of them. I, I tend to think a lot of the metrics though that marketing folks measure and then report back are more indicators than they are metrics. So when I see things like clicks and traffic, to me, that's an indicator of something, but it's not the end metric. It's an indicator that you're connecting with folks and that they've actually taken at least a step to click on a link, whether they read the article or whether they were moved by it. That's, that's a totally different and probably a more important metric to measure. So and then there's ultimately the ultimate metric, which is, is this having any effect on my bottom line? So I want to put the bottom line question to the side for a second and move past the initial indicator question and see if you have any insights as to how does one measure, you know, because advocacy is this, it's somewhat of a nebulous thing. How do we know it's working or how do you quantify or qualify the success of an employee advocacy program for a client? So twofold. Uh Obviously, in my tech experience, um, it resulted in, in pure revenue, dollars, and then this ongoing community. At both of my law firms where I implemented this program, employees began bringing new ideas into meetings. And while that may seem squishy, it actually was, they were ideas that were part of what we're all talking about now about the client experience. So they were ways to engage with our clients and the thought leadership that we put out there that was tied into the employee advocacy resulted in both new lines of work for existing practice areas. So actual tangible dollars and also 
more client engagement, meaning clients wanted to hear about these issues. All of a sudden, while we had been promoting, we'll come in-house, we'll bring in lunch, we'll do a CLE, they wanted us to come in-house. And each time we would come in-house and present a CLE, we would leave with new work. So those are very tangible measures. Yeah, it's interesting because you made the concession that maybe it was a squishy metric when you referenced the fact that employees are coming in with ideas or they're bringing innovation to the table. And okay, maybe that's somewhat squishy, but I can tell you as a leader of an organization and somebody that works with leadership, those are the things that really light up a leader. And those are the things that they can maybe not put on a spreadsheet, but they know when things are working, when they have an engaged, that was the word you used, an engaged, not only customer base, but an engaged team. Those are difference makers that maybe are, again, hard to quantify, but they're certainly qualifiable. And then lastly, because you touched on, I just wanted to see if there's anything we left off regarding the ultimate metric, which is you're starting to see bottom line um, impact. So this actually translates to financial success? Yes. So this can and this does translate to financial success. And so when, for example, at the Texas law firm, when I initially did it for a subgroup of, for the landowners, then the largest group in the firm saw the results and were able to see the dollars and thought, well, how can we invest our time and our resources into making this happen? And obviously, what we haven't touched on is how you reward employees, but that again goes to, Tom, your point about leadership and culture. Because if the the leadership and culture is fully supportive, the employees become more engaged. Also, as a, as a more final note on that, um, and my other law firm in New York, when we created this employee advocacy program, we were able to get exposure to prospects, to a new stream of customers that we had never spoken to before because they started to see traction in some of the thought leadership that was being put out there. And the employees became more interested in being more responsive because the firm involved them in that strategy because they felt as though they were the employee owners. Jen, I think that's a, that's a great point to wrap up on, which is, um, you know, understanding those metrics of success and, and how um, thought leadership can really uh, bolster the bottom line for law firms. So I think that'll be a great point to wrap up. And before we go, though, um, I wanted to just give you an opportunity because I think a lot of our listeners who may be intrigued by um, what you had to say today uh, would would appreciate the opportunity to perhaps learn a little bit more about you. So I know that you've, uh, as you mentioned, have been in-house uh, serving as a, a leader in the marketing department of of a few different law firms. Um, you're you're still working with law firms, but in a different capacity. So so maybe you could just spend a moment. Um, just kind of filling in the blanks as to what you're, what you're doing currently and, and maybe ways people can connect with you, whether that be on social media or otherwise. Sure, absolutely. Um, people can connect with me at thankstonmarketingsolutions.com. My email address is up there or on LinkedIn. And I am working currently with law firms and professional services groups 
to both on strategy and planning and implementation. But given my tech background on a lot of new products and services to help them stay competitive in the marketplace. Just so our listeners heard that, because your mic seemed to drop out for a second. It's Bankston Marketing Solutions? That's correct. Yes. Great. Yeah, and we'll make sure to link up to all of that information in our show notes for our listeners. You can check that out and, and connect with Jen uh, as, as appropriate. But um, Jen, thank you again. Uh, really appreciated your time. I think that was a very insightful um, for, for us and, and hopefully for our listeners as well. Um, and uh, for our listeners, thanks for joining us again. And we will catch you on another episode next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jen. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.